John, what are you doing? We're about ready to record a podcast. I'm tweeting about how I hate capitalism. <laughs> Wait, what? What? You are on your iPhone created by Apple using Twitter, one of the biggest social media companies, all connected through Comcast Internet to complain about how you hate capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> so folks, that's what we're talking about on this episode of 327 of the Queer Money Podcast, capitalism versus anti-capitalism. We see a lot of people who benefit from capitalism who also want to tear it all down. And we want to understand what to us seems like a huge disconnect. So get ready for a two-part series, both this week and next week, where we talk about capitalism versus anti-capitalism and have invited some guests to discuss this with us. Now, on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Well, folks, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. Today's episode, I'm going to start off by saying... It is never intended to be in this corner is capitalism and in this corner is anti-capitalism. Let's bang down. It's definitely not going to be that way, but we are going to have an open discussion about capitalism versus anti-capitalism and the spectrum of things that may fall in between or outside of those two. And part of the reason why that John and I wanted to have this discussion is there are a lot of folks in the LGBT community who like to claim being anti-capitalists. And so we wanted to have this discussion because we know that money is an integral part of our lives. And that can mean that we actually have one foot in or two feet in capitalism, depending on what we do in the world. And John and I didn't feel like it was appropriate for us to carry this conversation all ourselves. So we have invited Hadassah Damien and Laura Boom McDonald of Bottom Line and Top Dollars, that is their podcast, to join us in the ring. No, it, join us in, in the play, <laughs> no, in the, it's in the sandbox. Join us in the sandbox to yeah. have this discussion. <laughs> so welcome, Hadassah and Laura. Thank you so much, David and John, for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Of course. Definitely. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate the bravery. <laughs> it's not often we say, we tell guests before they come on the show that our views don't necessarily align. Let's talk about how we don't meet up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like my experience every day. Totally. totally. <laughs> That's the only way I go through the world. <laughs> nice. And I will admit that it was your discussion on your podcast, again, Bottom Line Top Dollars, where the two of you talked about anti-capitalism. And actually, you talk about it in various forms from time to time on your podcast. And that's why I wanted to invite you to talk about it, because you have articulated this in a variety of ways, especially from the perspective of being in the personal finance space, like you are Hadassah and, and Laura. And so the convert, I think that there's the, how do we convey what we want to say and also understand what it is that folks are thinking? Because there is, again, this is just a, just like the sexual gender spectrum. There's such a spectrum when it comes to what roles we play in the world. So mm. maybe we could start out by talking about the definitions. How do we define capitalism? How do we define anti-capitalism? Is it the 
Webster's Dictionary version or is it <laughs> a different version? I love that we're going to start with this because, I mean, I overall, I, I have a, a point of view that when we're vague about things, we kind of maintain that vagueness through how we approach them. So yes, let us start with some specifics here. I mean, to me, when I think about capitalism, it's a it's an economic system that's structured to prioritize creating profits above all else, or at least the, the current incarnation that we see. And so then when I'm thinking about anti-capitalism, I'm thinking about that there's a critical analysis in there that that prioritization of profits above all else, which you see it's embedded in, in political and legal structures has led to some pretty devastating ecological and social impacts, right? And so to me, then anti-capitalism has that critical analysis and then basically is a collection of loose ideas about other prioritizations that would be possible that could lead to either a more abundant or more sustainable or healthier or safer life for the planet and the beings on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. My notion of it, because I also think that interestingly, Hadassah and I have slightly different takes on like we, I think that we align a lot in our politics, but they're slightly different in the same way that I don't think that anti-capitalism, I think that there's, it's not like a monolithic group. There's lots of different kinds of political beliefs that could be considered anti-capitalist, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh, in essence saying that an anti-capitalist is just someone who believes that our economic system should be something other than capitalism. A lot of people assume that that means that an anti-capitalist must be a communist, but there are other options as well. There's different forms of socialism, there's anarchism, and there's lots of economic models that aren't even that at all. There's sort of economic models that come from either environmental, ecological, indigenous perspectives that could be very much considered anti-capitalist. And I suppose for myself, when I think of, you know, all these economic systems are just the way in which we decide we're going to allocate resources in the world, gets what and when, how much goes here, how much goes there, what are we going to do with the stuff that we have on the planet? And capitalism is the predominant system that we've been using for quite a while now. And the basis of which is competition, selfishness, extractiveness, and in my opinion, a hoarding of resources. It's a matter of the allocation of resources go to the most powerful and strongest. And the inevitable outcome of that system seems to be inequality and ever-increasing inequality to a breaking point. And so my interest in anti-capitalism is I think of it as like a politics of imagining and working towards creating social and economic systems that are collaborative and equitable and sustainable. Do I have a perfect system where I'm like, my proposal is this? No, (laughs) but... I like to engage in that activity. And that's why I don't call myself a a something-ist. I know that there's this idea that we're defining ourselves in the negative and that, you know, a lot of people would critique it as being a negative philosophy, anti-capitalist. 
I think that it's a starting point for what it is that we can make afterwards. Absolutely. I like the way you, you phrase that. It's, it makes it seem a little bit less, I guess, angry. Aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems much well, less like an angry lesbian philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because when you say you're, you're anti anything, it, it, the, the, the picture is you're automatically diametrically opposed to mm. the other thing. When, you know, I, I, I can totally understand what you're saying, how you're defining your definition of anti capitalism. But Hadassah, I'm hung up on your, your your comment about the current iteration or the current definition of capitalism. And I think that to me is, is where I've mostly been hung up on with most of the arguments I've heard about anti-capitalism today in that this current definition that we're all living in is, in my definition, not capitalism. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a perversion of what capitalism is supposed to be and probably even what better capitalism could be. I blame a lot on Ronald Reagan and Milton Friedman in the 70s and 80s, and they completely changed everything. The the entire structure of the economy, what we focus our resources on, they put they're they're the ones who pretty much put, you know, mental health patients and other people out on the streets and they're defined as homeless and lazy and work uh, unworkable. They were the ones who put all the onus on corporations. They incentivize corporations to focus on shareholders, whereas before there was a tendency to focus on your shareholders as well as provide a valuable product or service for people who needed that valuable product or service and couldn't get it otherwise, or not, maybe not as efficiently. So I, th- I think to me, I think we maybe have more in common based on what your first answer was that I maybe originally thought, because I don't think today's definition of capitalism is pure. I mean, I really am am interested in what you're saying about this idea of what's being incentivized. Something I think a lot about is how there's a there's a current conversation that like taxes are bad, like America was formed on the idea that taxes are bad. But one way I think about taxes is as our like collective and public wealth, and taxes could be used in ways that they are used in Canada. Laura can tell us more, or other places around the world to you know for. It can always be done better, but, you know, to give more social safety net or or to ensure that people who are struggling or who aren't able to, you know, win the game that that we're all currently in aren't so deeply falling through the cracks that they're kind of punished with lives of misery by not being able to deeply engage right with the with the system as it is and so i think i think about that yeah in terms of like reagan and and margaret thatcher and this whole idea of capitalist realism the only way to be (laughs) is within this this capitalist way or this particular iteration of capitalism but i also think at least in the u.s we like legal structures got put in place like in the 1800s that made it so that corporate structures ha- are expected to prioritize pr- a shareholder profit like that's the that's the where the money is supposed to go and it started you know in in sync with the industrial revolution you start to see this all these choices being made that again back to the what is our system incentivizing choices being made that were really about pulling resources to centralized private ownership but then that those resources staying with those owners and not necessarily going to the people who are contributing to the resource to making those resources. Right. I think about the story I read recently where Henry Ford at the beginning of the 20th century, there was just like some 
kind of changes in how workers were thinking and organizing. And Henry Ford doubled his salaries overnight because he wanted to be able to keep workers producing at his in his factory. And that's a choice, right? Like, so we always have to say, well, what does our system that we're in incentivize? Does it incentivize humanizing the people that we are working with? Does it incentivize acknowledgement that we're in like a limited, finite, interdependent earth, right? Or does it incentivize? And then do, how do people act based on those incentives? So yeah, it's it's interesting to me because it's I'm not a hundred, I'm not against exchange or commerce. <laughs> we can look way all the way back in history and see exchange and commerce. I'm really interested in what are the ways that we can be in exchange with others and and have healthy commerce relationships that are sustainable and allow people to thrive and therefore like the places people live to thrive as well. Yeah. I'm glad we started with the the idea of the definition because when we use a word, we all then end up using our own definition of that word to insert into the conversation what it is that person is talking about. Right. And this is, this is one of the things that yeah, you know, kind of one of the questions that we had shared with you before we decided to record was this idea of someone who's an anti-racist, right? Someone who's an anti-racist absolutely will not participate in anything related to racism and will go absolutely in the opposite direction. And when someone today who is a capitalist hears someone say that they're an anti-capitalist, they have to scratch their head and say, so you're an anti-capitalist, you will have nothing to do with the capitalistic economy. Why do you have a business that adds value and you sell a product? Why do you use services to charge people, use a service to use a credit card to charge people for your coaching practice? Why do you participate in the tax structure? Why do you hop on Twitter and complain about capitalism, right? You're using all the tools of capitalism that they define as capitalism, and yet you call yourself an anti-capitalist. And I think that's kind of the, we get stuck in this cloud of, of not knowing what each other is really talking about. We make an assumptions of what people are talking about. And I guess that's why I, I kind of asked, is there maybe another word we need for it rather than capitalism? Because adding value, taking something of value and adding value to it and turning around and providing that as a product or service, that's kind of the foundation or fundamental fundamentals of capitalism, right? You taking but it's not. That was the the basis of where it started, right? I take something and I use some sort of capital to add value to it, right? As you brought you pointed out, Hadassah, there have always been means of exchange, even before we had capitalism. And I think that's where capitalism said, okay, let's take this means of exchange and say, this is what capitalism is. And then all of a sudden over years, we've stacked all these other things on top of it. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. I'm curious though, Laura, what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, because I, I just believe that people have been transforming items into other things and exchanging them with other people long before 
capitalism was ever defined, right? So then the notion, people engage in different kinds of economies all the time, right? People grow things, exchange them with others. People make crafts and exchange them with others. People specialize in services. They become healers, teachers, they become musicians, they become artists, they create something that creates value and it gives them a place within society. That system, that reality has existed long before um, we created capitalism as an organizing structure around it. And that thing of saying, oh, you're an anti-capitalist, so I guess you make all your own clothes and grow all your own food and you milk cows and you never touch money and whatever is, I think, an overstatement of the boundaries of capitalism and what capitalism is. Mm -hmm. You know, money existed before capitalism existed as simply a means of representing value and allowing people to exchange in a way that was not the barter system. So. It's, I think that I don't necessarily think we need a new word other than anti-capitalism. I think we need to remember what capitalism is and thinking that capitalism is so much more than what it is makes it into this monolith that's impossible to replace because you're like, well, the world can't exist without money and it can't exist without exchange. And it can't like, it can't, I, I like to make something. I like my business. and. I don't think that finding an alternative to capitalism requires that nobody has a business or nobody specializes or we don't have an economy. Like we have to have an economy. There's just other ways of having an economy. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I think that like capitalism, I think that sometimes people think that capitalism is impossible to overturn, but that's because they think that capitalism is natural. Or capitalism is so rooted in reality that it's impossible to pull out. But I just think that we're giving capitalism too much credit. Right. Yeah, I think it's so important to remember that creating and adding value, I mean, to me, it's like a core human need to be able to contribute. Like I'm rooted, I have an education in nonviolent communication. We think about what are the core needs that people have and contribution is one of those. And contribution can look like so many things, but what is contribution? But it's understanding that somebody has like gotten value from something that you've done or you've participated in something. There's so many ways to operationalize that. But yeah, that it, it just goes so much further back. And I, to me, this idea of capitalist real, realism that Laura's talking about is that, yeah, we kind of think, well, capitalism is the only way because we just forget that there have, have been other ways. But the other thing that I was thinking about, David, that you brought up is this idea that like, yeah, like when when we want to be an anti-racist practice, we're really cognizant of the implications of racism and white supremacy in our actions and in the interactions that we're having and in the world that we're in. But I, I also think that there's a, a recognition that racism is endemic and it's embedded into parts of our institutions and it's embedded into ways of thinking that actively need to be picked apart, but are, but are still present, right? And that the impacts of, of racism and institutional racism are still present. So, I mean, for me, as someone who always wants to improve on my anti-racist practice, part of what I think about is, well, especially as a white person, there's going to be ways in which I'm 
complicit or implicit in racism just because I'm kind of in this system and I can push back on it and I can call it out and name it, but I'm also part of, was born into something, right? That then I'm here to say, okay, how do I pull this apart? And I think about that similarly with the, with the whole, like, why don't you milk your own cow and have your own, you know, permaculture farm, right? Thing about anti-capitalism where it's that we're all kind of currently born into a capitalist system. And there's certain things that are, it's not consensual is the way I think about it. You, you kind of can't choose it. And so in the same way, like I, I bought a house recently. Thank God that was awesome. But it also definitely means like getting like deeply involved in banking and loans and like credit and all these different things, like touching a million pieces of capitalism and capital and how it works, literally moving capital around, you know, and it, to me, it's not about expecting some sort of like gold star level you never participate activity (laughs) because I don't think that's fair because then what that means, it it kind of goes back to the like, well, if you don't participate, you're, you're, you're punished and you have this sort of miserable life because of how resources move now. And I think to me, I, I hear Laura and I talk about this a lot, but I feel like there's a lot of expectation in, especially like radical queer communities that we come from that you that one is as removed from money as possible because of the ways in which money has, how people have kind of used money to commit harm against people on the planet. But then you have this kind of terrible like set of impacts where then you have a whole community of people who don't have savings, aren't able to take care of themselves in an emergency, don't have enough health insurance. Like, what are you going to do? Like, don't know what they're going to do in older age because we're in this kind of totalizing system where you need resources, money to be able to actually take care of yourself. Or, you know, this whole, to me, this like money's bad. Capitalism is bad. We can't talk about it actually then means that when there are queer people with resources, it's harder to kind of own up to it and figure out, out how to move those resources to people who really do need them and can't access them, right? Like there's an there's a kind of layer of awkwardness that's un, unnecessary. So folks, just, a, just for a second here, I want, to, want you all to know that John and I are, for lack of a better way of putting this, I'm going to use an analogy here. We're playing the Fox News, um, <laughs> Newsmax <laughs> category. <laughs> I think the Where personalities here. I didn't right? know we're, we were having a Newsmax. I didn't sign up for this. We're, we're on the. We're, on, we're, we're kind of playing devil's advocate here versus the extreme MSNBC version of this conversation, right? So we <laughs> right, want to right. ask some questions that really kind of dig yeah. at this. I do think that John and I are not on that extreme end of capitalism of profits above all else. So I'll just put that out there, that there are some things that are you're saying that are absolutely true and absolutely compelling. And folks, if you're listening and we're not responding with a yes, maybe that's part of the reason we're why. We're nodding on video. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm nodding um, loudly. Right. Like if you're watching on really video. It really is a spectrum. Right. Mm. It is. And I think that it's the, the reason why I'm glad we started off with the definition is because of that idea that there are, even within our own community, there are people who are at the extreme ends of those spectrums, right? You have billionaire LGBT individuals who are extremely profit above all else. And you have 
individuals who are, I don't want to touch money. I don't want anything to do with anything. I don't want to own any property, other end of the spectrum in our community. And we want to talk about and represent voices in all of those. So, mm-hmm. sorry, John, I, have, I have a question, but Laura wanted to say something. I <laughs> want to let her have her time. Let them oh, no, time. I was just, I was just agreeing because I think this is a very good point that it's, and I suppose in the word anti-capitalism, it really sets it up as like an us versus them when actually it is this spectrum. And I don't know, I have family members with whom I only ever argue at the dinner table. And it would seem like we're on completely separate planes of existence, but they're my family. And I see, you know what I mean? We're together, even if where we sit on different issues are potentially or I think of them as as far apart as you could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And I agree that there's there's lots of people who really think of themselves as capitalists, but who oppose that kind of extreme extractive capitalism that they see as having gotten us into a place where people are living in tent cities and there are the planet is warming and things feel really out of control. There's a lot of people who are, you know, talking about a happier, better capitalism, you know, the whole foods capitalism or whatever. And I think that I actually have read lots of books where people talk about how to save capitalism or how to redeem capitalism, how to make a better capitalism. And I think that those are interesting ideas and I can see where they're trying what they're trying to get at. They're trying to make the world better. And they believe that at a fundamental level, they can get there by just tweaking capitalism, where I suppose where I would be considered extreme is that I personally think that the best possible outcome is not through redeeming capitalism, but by replacing capitalism. And that's where I sit because I think that capitalism requires, even in just that, finding ways of extracting and gaining capital and then leveraging it to gain even more capital is constantly putting certain people in a state of power over other people. And then that capital gets handed down in almost like a monarchy way where people get born into wealth in a way that just sets up intergenerational us versus them that doesn't seem right to me. And I don't think that tweaking it and making it organic is going to fix that. That looks a little like feudalism to me. <laughs> exactly. And but, I think fe- the but other thing- capitalism was a response to feudalism. Right. 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 So, so what happened? What happened? And <laughs> they didn't, they didn't do it right. <laughs> well, right. But I'm curious. I, I, I think so it was an improvement, but it didn't get it. <laughs> right. I have, yeah. I have so many things to ask yeah. and, and both of what you guys just said, but I want to go back to one of the things I'm, I'm most concerned with right now and sort of more in line with Hadassah with what you're, where you're getting at in that there's many people in the community who have a negative perception about money. They try to avoid it to a certain degree. They try to just not engage with capitalism because of the inherent problems that it has or the fact that humans have perverted it as much as they possibly could. But we just recorded a podcast that has yet to come out. And I don't want to give too much away, but we were just educated on the fact that there's this whole community of Christians 
who are doubling down their investment investment efforts and taking over or trying to get more fundamentalist Christians into financial advisory and financial planning for the very purpose of trying to squeeze out LGBTQ people and to influence laws and entire society. So my concern with an anti-capitalism approach is that the other side's not doing this. Right. And so right. if we're going to, if we're going to automatically tie two hands behind our back and say, we're going to try to overpower you or, or at least stay equal with you, with you we're, we're kind of making it harder for ourselves. So I guess presented with, with that is it, what sort of solution would you have knowing that the other side is doubling and tripling down on capitalism? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, this is why I teach queer people about money. <laughs> like this is why I'm, I've, I've taken this strategy. So there's always tension in life. There's how we would like things to be and what we want. And then there's the reality of what is. And we strategically, you, you kind of have to operate in the middle of the two, right? Like you want to nudge the world towards what you want, but you can't just be walking around as if like nothing around you is happening when it is. And I mean, to me, my mission is to see lots of queer people with lots of resources. Like that's why I have financial resources, because that is the tool that is used in our current system. Doesn't make our current system right. And I want the people, the queer people around me to have what they need to be able to operate in autonomy and choice and to support other queer people to be able to operate in more autonomy. And so it's, yeah, like the, the, I do think it is fair to say the other side in this, in this instance is interested in funding political views, worldviews, policies, laws, elected officials who are in fact interested in reducing autonomy and reducing choice specifically for queer people, but also for all kinds of other people, women, <laughs> immigrants, people of color, yeah, immigrants. Yeah. Oh, yeah, indigenous yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And so I mean, I'm interested in, in resourcing change. Like I'm really, I, I spent a lot of time like working in nonprofits, doing arts organization work and community work. And that I feel really great about the work that I got done, but it was really challenging to keep going because of the level of resourcing was so low. And so I'm really interested in figuring out how to actually and actively resource that kind of work and resource the people doing that work so that so that we can continue to push back for a more livable world for everybody like if any religious point of view you want to have go right ahead but don't make that a point of view that then takes away my ability to live or other people's ability to live that's not right it's interesting and we were started to have this conversation about or in your notes you had all these like questions about morality that i thought were so super interesting and and to me like I would love to get into those in a few minutes, but I keep thinking about what is it, what's, what is moral and ethical when it comes to how you approach your life? To me, questions of morality are, are ones about, they're about what enables choice, like, because you can't have a morals without the ability to make choices. And so in order to have like a moral question at all, we actually have to start asking ourselves, well, what kinds of choices are available in the first place? So any, to me, any, any economic system that increases people's ability to make choices is a more moral system. And whatever we can build towards that, I, I think allows us to ask these, these nuanced questions about ethics and morality even more. Right. Well, I think what you're getting at is in the notes we, we shared with you, you know, the father of, of capitalism in the United States anyway, is 
typically considered Adam Smith. And before he wrote The Wealth of Nations, which was the book that kind of laid the foundation of capitalism in the United States, he also wrote a book called The Theory of Moral Sentiment, where he mm-hmm. talked about truly virtuous person is. And I, this is a great segue, I think, to what the question I was going to ask Laura as well. But a truly virtuous person is someone who is looking out for their own best interests and so they can thrive and be healthy and live, live, live a great life. But they're also compassionately and concerned about other people and their environment and the things around them. They know that they're, they're, they're just a, one part of a larger whole. So I guess if we were to come at capitalism with that sort of approach, and that might be you know, a panacea that we can never actually even exi- uh, achieve, but if we could come at capitalism with that sort of approach, one, would it be more palatable to a anti-capitalist? Mm-hmm. And if it wouldn't be, I'm curious, is there any system that man can't pervert? I thought that this was really interesting because that quote that basically says, act selfishly, but without hurting others. But in a pure, unregulated capitalist system, it only incentivizes the act selfishly part. It doesn't actually have any mechanism for punishing someone for doing so at the expense of someone else. And in fact, If someone gave up a financial opportunity in order to not hurt someone else, it actually results in them being financially punished, right? Like you have to give up the financial opportunity in order to care for somebody else. So within the capitalist system, you're actually incentivizing hurting others if it benefits yourself. So it's a system where the incentives are designed wrong. And I feel like Hadassah always, always brings up the design of proper incentives because she's someone who designs system, thinks about systems all the time. If you don't put the right carrot and the right stick, then all you're going to do is end up having a, a revolving door of the same wrong outcome. And I think that competition encourages it often encourages viciousness in order to win in business, which is unfortunate. And I think that right now, the incentives for being a a better kind of company within the capitalist system is like, I don't know, the benevolence of the social media world to not destroy you on Twitter. Like, I don't know what the benefits are right now, but they're not very good, you know? And the more that we take away systems, here's where the fact that I'm Canadian comes in and I don't have a perfect understanding of your system, but, you know, repealing the power of certain governmental organizations like your is it the EPA, your Environmental Protection Agency, or other things like that, allowing, saying companies can just regulate themselves. They won't hurt the environment. They're good people. It basically is, again, doubling down on the selfishness motivation and removing any form of motivation to also care about others. What you're making me think about, Laura, is also this, and David, I think you brought it brought it in too, this idea that like there's a differentiation between 
individuals or small groups and how we might choose to act if we were making moral decisions. Like if I'm a small business owner and you're a small business owner and Laura's a small business owner and how we want to broker and do business among ourselves versus much larger organizations or corporate structures. Because Laura, to your point, like, you know, if there's not government regulation, then companies are left to their own devices to make decisions. And if you're in the in the US, if you're a C-Corp, you are in fact required to maximize for profit for your shareholders. So if you don't have to add more filters to your whatever, you know, smokestacks <laughs> and it saves you money and then you keep more money, then you're actually incentivized to make that, that choice, right? And so, yeah, I think a ton about the idea of externalities, Laura, which you turned me on to this term, or sometimes they're called side effects, which my herbalist friend pointed out to me are just effects <laughs> like it's the effects just not the ones you wanted <laughs> right it's the other the other effects anti-effects yeah. <laughs> anti that probably doesn't work um, you know but i do think that we are seeing a bit of a sea change in terms of public sentiment about quote-unquote externalities or side effects of you know companies especially from like an environmental and ecological perspective but it, with work in the pandemic we are seeing some of that also from like a social impact worker impact perspective that i think is is super interesting because people are asking questions like well why are these decisions being made why is it like that and sort of people are starting to realize that that it is a decision to prioritize profits but it's also an incentivized decision and i think it is it's a really important question for the next couple of decades, how we're going to actually incentivize a bit of a more balanced approach so that there can still be, so that companies or people or small businesses are still incentivized to innovate and come up with new ways to do things and to be creative and to put value out into the world, but to also temper that with any of the side effects of what might come out of that. Yeah. I guess I kind of would also ask with going along with what you're just discussing, the ecological and the social impacts, the queer community has been a massive beneficiary of capitalism in its current mm. form, especially here in the United States, right? We wouldn't have marriage equality had it not been for multiple hundreds of companies standing up and saying, this is what's right for our people. Mm -hmm. Nearly every LGBT center in this country would close down if it wasn't for donations that come in from corporations. Most nonprofit nonprofits, they get a larger percentage of their income comes from corporations. So are we saying then that the all of the time that these companies are giving this money, they're doing it from a for lack of a better word, nefarious standpoint, because they want to maximize shareholder capital by doing that? Or is, the, is there some social good that has really come about that our community should praise and be reminded of that there is some really good work being done by some people, and that good work wouldn't be necessarily be being done in the system that we live in today, if it wasn't for those corporations. Laura, Laura I think you wanted to. Laura, how does it work in Canada? <laughs> Help us Americans understand. I mean, At least we want your drugs because it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's. it's funny because we're incredibly similar 
countries in many, many, many ways. We're more similar than we are different, but there are, you know, some key differences. But a lot of what you're talking about is pretty much just as true in Canada. And to me, this is this actually, and this might seem like a roundabout way to answer this, but it goes back to taxes and it goes back to how we decide to allocate resources. Mm -hmm. And it goes to specifically tax laws around donations and charitable and nonprofit status. And here's where I'm a CPA, so I'm a chartered professional accountant here in Canada. So this is where me being a big tax nerd kind of comes into (laughs) play, which is companies are incentivized to give money away in order to get tax breaks. And what charitable donations do is they essentially say, look, you can either give the government money in the form of taxes and then elected officials, political power will decide what to do with that money. Namely, we will decide how we're going to disperse it for the social good. Or you as a corporation can decide where you want your money to go specifically. You can, instead of giving us your tax dollars and we decide, you can essentially direct your tax dollars into a specific place. And yes, queer people have really benefited in many, many ways, probably because there's a massive amount of white queer people. And I think that that comes from specific corporations deciding that that's where they want their money to go instead of to taxes. So this comes back to how do we want to structure how common resources, the commons, are allocated between us, right? Do we let corporations decide what projects move forward and what projects do not, to what point are we happy to do that? What's the mix? It doesn't have to be one or the other. We can use something like tax law and how much of tax reduction they get through charitable donations. You can turn that dial up or down to decide how much we want to let people make those decisions about where to put that money and how much should go into a common pot where everyone has power over it. I think also connects back to that incredible point you made about fundamentalist Christians getting really smart and strategic about how they invest their money as a group in order to achieve political goals, right? This is something that I think we forget about anti-capitalism or any ism is that it isn't about me. It isn't about Hadassah or any of us individually. It isn't an identity that I take on to make me feel like a good person or to identify myself as good or bad or this or that. It's about the world and an external political goal that I have for the world. It's about what I want to see in the world. You know, it's, it isn't about a t-shirt that I wear. It's about a thing that I want to help make happen. I want the world to be better. I want it. I want more people to not starve. I do not want all of my descendants, my sweet nibblings to die in fires and droughts and floods. And I think that capitalism 
is fundamentally a power that pushes us in that direction. It's a system that's set up where you can use money. It, like money essentially is the the power is the the it's the chips that we use to put power into action. And that's what these people are doing by investing in certain things. They're putting power behind certain goals. And when I say I'm an anti-capitalist, I don't think my political goals are achieved by dropping out and not doing things, by saying, I'm just not going to buy anything. I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. The, the refusing to do something is only politically effective if it's actually an organized boycott, like when people boycotted and South like Africa. Stuff. Right, right, right. Exactly. You know, like it's, it's you know, if you're just, it's not an effective way to do things. It's much better to, like Hadassah said, try and gain resources and then use those resources to fund the change that you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me think about how there's only, it's like 12 or 14 lesbian bars left in the U.S. Um, oh, because God, like so depressing. Dozens of them, maybe hundreds have closed because like lesbians and, and queer women of all kinds are not as resourced a community just sort of in general due to, I think, you know, both, both gender and sexuality and just like lifestyle interest, right? Like a sort of perfect storm of all these things, but I don't even drink, but man, I wish there was like tons of lesbian bars. Right. And so when I think of this as like one example of like the types of things that I want to see persist because cultural spaces are important. I think for people in the queer community in particular, but for all communities, And when queer people struggle to resource our cultural spaces, then we struggle to resource our history and our legacy and our ancestry. And that's, it's so important for us to have that because we're, you know, mighty. (laughs) There's been many of us, but, and let's, let's make sure that that's something that is easy to see as opposed to like, you know, has to be dug up. We've gone a a lot of different directions in this conversation and we don't have a whole lot of time here, but I want to kind of go back to one of the things that John mentioned and your your strong desire Laura to see capitalism replaced by something else. And we've tried various forms of socialism, we've tried various forms of communism, we've tried various economic and political ideologies throughout history. And it always seems that we come back to we're not doing this right. Because is it inherent that no matter what form of ism we try, we end up breaking it because deep down inside, there are always going to be people who are always going to be trying to get all the resources. And there are always going to be people who don't have what they need to be able to get the resources that they need because there's always going to be people like that. People are inherently shitty, and some people were are we're gonna uh, well, and I think that at certain points in our lives, all of us are shitty, right? At some at some point in our lives, we've all been shitty to somebody. We probably could have done something a little bit nicer, a little bit better, and we don't know the side effects <laughs> or the facts of what happened to that that instance that we met with or bumped into them, or they their paths crossed. So. Mm-hmm is what really is happening here is that the anti-capitalism is me. It's not an ism, it's me. 
It's I'm going to be the best version of the person I can be in the in whatever system that we're in. I'm going to try the best I can, and I have to live with that because that's all I can do, really. I can't change you. I can't change you. I can't change John. He's um, been trying for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> but what, re- what it really comes down to is if I, were, if I were living in Russia today right now, I would be speaking out against war, right? And, and I would be speaking out about, against communism. And I would be looking for a better way to do that, to, to live there. If I was in Venezuela, I would probably be doing the exact same thing. And I'm living here in the United States. And Laura, you're in Canada. We all have to just say, okay, this is where I am. This is what I'm going to do to try to be a better person. And speaking out, of course, speaking out is one of the ways that we can be a better person, but inherently the, we're never going to really change the fundamentals of human, human, humans, human nature. <laughs> it's interesting. So I esoteric mean, suddenly. Yeah, I know. Philosophical. <laughs> I think we depressed you a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, at least to me, right, there's always this concept of like, how do you do good or how do you do better? And there is an expectation that that's a shared responsibility. In some way, in in certain philosophical kind of points of view, right? And so maybe there's a tension between like, is there like a shared responsibility, or do we have individual responsibility? And and where do those? And and to me, those are those are worldviews, right? They're like they're, they're ways of approaching how you actually see the world. And I think it, you know, as a society, we just want to ask ourselves like, do we want to set up a world in which it's okay for people to not have what they need when, I mean, at least in the US, we have so much money and so many resources. It literally does not have to be that way. I mean, (laughs) there's a meme that's going around that's basically like, once you make a billion dollars, you get an award that says you won capitalism and then the rest of the money goes to something else, right? You did it, you won, you're the winner, (laughs) good job. My point here is that I I don't think it's wrong to be rewarded for the value that you create. It is, however, I think immoral for that to be de facto connected to other people not being able to have what they need. Like I think that we could have a system where there we have a baseline expectation that like to Laura's point, nobody has to sleep in a tent unless they want to do their thorough lifestyle. But that we have set of you know expectation of human rights that people can can experience. Maybe that's just a little Pollyanna, but <laughs> that baseline, I think, I think is is a reasonable expectation, you know, across many worldviews. Hundred percent agree, actually. Yeah, we're about coming up to time. We want to respect your time. I don't even know that we even scratched the surface of this conversation. I know that David and I could go on for a couple more hours, but we don't have that, unfortunately. So we definitely have to have you all back. Maybe next time we'll have some beer or wine to make it even more entertaining. <laughs> Dasa doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I don't know. Um, fuzzy water. Okay. <laughs> okay. But Laura, before we, we asked where our listeners can follow you and check you all down, did you want to provide any closing thoughts? Anti-capitalism, when someone talks about it, and maybe this is the first time that some of your listeners have heard someone advocate it from like a serious position where I'm not joking about <laughs> saying uh it might seem extreme or some people might say nuts but my final thoughts is that i really do believe that it's a philosophy of realistic change i just don't think that it's going to be 
perfect change that happens overnight and happens completely. And I agree that, you know, people are people and whatever we make next, whatever direction we go in, we're probably not going to get it hundred percent perfect. And we're going to have to keep changing it. We're going to have to keep iterating. We're going to have to keep trying harder and better for me. It's being willing to say, you know what? I think that we're going to have to make some very deep, very fundamental changes in the next very short period of time. If we're going to pull through this all together, I don't think that it needs to be perfect. And I just think that it needs to be moving in the right direction. And for me, that direction is one away from individualism and towards a notion of collective survival and collective good. And if that's the one piece of of my anti-capitalism that hopefully will resonate with others, I think it's the most important piece for our global survival. And that's, I suppose, my last thought on it. Awesome. Thank you both so much for your time. Before we wrap up, do you mind sharing where our listeners can track you down and listen to your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So Laura and my podcast, Bottom Lines, Top Dollars, is available at anchor.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. So you can just search Bottom Lines, Top Dollars. We Season three is, I guess we're right in the middle of it right now, depending on when this comes out. And this season is all about practical approaches to surviving and thriving in capitalism. So we are breaking down things like, how do you get prepared to make a big purchase? How do you get a job that doesn't suck? And things like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. How do you get out of debt so you can make that big purchase with your job that doesn't suck? Can you be an anti-capitalist business owner? Things like that. So you can check that out. And then I also have a project called Ride Free Fearless Money, where I have a blog. I do coaching. I do group workshops. I have digital courses all about just really practical ways to get in to figure out how money works because you don't have to like the system to figure out how to live within it. And Laura, anywhere else our listeners can find you? Honestly, in my pandemic days, I've tried to get off of most of social media. So really, if you find Bottom Line's Top Dollars, that is the public work that I do out in the world. And if you follow us on Instagram, Bottom Line's Top Dollars, check out our podcast, then that is the best way to keep up with what I'm doing. I actually work in industry right now. I don't have a private practice, but I'm within the next few months, one of my goals is to launch my own small, you know, money coaching and consulting firm for, so if, you know, if you are somebody who is Canadian and would like the help of a CPA who also sits on the left side of the political spectrum, then watch the bottom line's top dollars Instagram because I will announce it when it launches. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time. We definitely have to have you back. This has been a great episode. This was a blast. Thank you so much, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Hadassah and Lauren, for coming on the show and sharing your point of view on capitalism. We look forward to next week when we take the conversation even further to find possible solutions or replacements to what today's capitalism looks like. 
Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Come back next week. We're going to take this conversation even deeper with Adasa and come to an agreement on what each of us as individuals can do to make the system, whatever you want to call it, that we have today better for all of us. Thank you and have a great week.